Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Nerd Culture Podcast, this very special three-year anniversary edition of the Nerd Culture Podcast. Uh, my name is David, and I'll be your host, and with me are the NCP crew, as we have been for the last three years. Hooray! Like a prison sentence. Richo! And there was much rejoicing! Luke! Next year kindergarten! Hooray! And Crystal! Huzzah! Do you mean host in a Stephanie Meyer sense of the host? Don't ever mention Stephanie Meyer on this podcast again. So, hang, on, hang on, what about my suggestion for the all Twilight episode? Bind. We can play Twilight. No, 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 no we, can, we can have it. It'll just, there'll just be a lot of swearing. <laughs> and the comments will basically boil down to, you know, one singular comment. We'll just say it over and over again. Exactly. And it won't be safe for radio. That's right. It'll be, it's terrific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we love Twilight here in the Culture Podcast. So, yeah, so this is our uh, three year anniversary episode. It's uh, since we've gone, it's actually gone a bit out of whack. We would normally review an Isaac Asimov book <laughs> in this episode, but that's just going to be in two episodes' time. Uh, but uh, because we went weekly, it sort of threw the schedule off a bit. But that's all right. That's it's, right. It's, it's still part of our it's, celebration. It is still. still. That's exactly right. It's, it's a month-long celebration. For of this entire culture. episode, we're still going to have Isaac in our hearts. That's right. right. Which is, you know, to go with the shrine that we have in the corner there that we, that we touch right. every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> if DC can, you know, spend the entire year celebrating 75 years of Batman, we can, you know... We can fudge a month, though. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly so right. Describe for the listeners what the shrine looks like. I don't want to. <laughs> and I think the Asimov estate would be too pleased. The uncomfortable part is where you've... Because you dug up his bones. <laughs> the really uncomfortable part is where you've taken photos of you and Crystal, like hugging and kissing and on your wedding day, and actually stuck Isaac Asimov's face over Crystal's. That's a little bit of a worry. <laughs> That's disturbing, dude. It is disturbing. It I, is. I didn't know where you were going there for a second, and I was thankful that that's where you went. <laughs> <laughs> it could have gone either way. <laughs> so I'm cool with We're that. We're family friendly, remember? So, uh, yeah, so three glorious years of NCP. So I just want to take this opportunity to say uh, thank you very much to anybody who uh, has been listening for those three years. If you're still listening, my God, that's awesome. Um, and uh, any, if any, any newcomers or relative newcomers, then uh, welcome, and thank you very much uh, for listening, and we do it for you. Uh, and for ourselves, we won't lie, we enjoy it. But also, you know, we do it mainly for you guys. So Some of us um, think it's a bit of a slog. <laughs> it sometimes can be a bit of a slog, <laughs> which is, you know, but that's fine. We, 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 we do enjoy it, and we do really enjoy uh, the feedback. Please, you know, throw back any feedback that you've got. You know, anything we're doing good, anything we're doing bad, uh, we love to read it. Um, well, especially I do, because I'm the one that gets the emails. <laughs> but, uh, he doesn't share them with the rest of us, and when he does, he edits out the bits about us and just raves about himself. That's so. right, so, yeah, exactly. David, that's scarily true. Good, <laughs> it's um, terrific. But yeah, but no, in all seriousness, it's it's, uh, it's been a, a great three years, and uh, thank you very much to uh, everybody who is listening. Here's to three more, and uh, thank you to the crew. You all rock. Yay! So for this very special uh, anniversary episode, we'll be reviewing X-Men Days of Future Past and uh, a return to our group review at uh, Richo's request. Or Days of Futu, as it said on the ticket. That's right, Days of Futu. (laughs) That's creepy. (laughs) Uh, And we'll also, uh, just tying into that theme, we'll be listing our top five time travel movies. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, we want to talk about some news that's happened recently. There's there's been a lot happening. I'm actually going to save some of the news for the episode that Bo's on, because it's mainly World Warcraft related. But uh, for us, I basically just want to talk a couple couple of things. Um, Just the other day, uh, Edgar Wright announced that he was leaving Ant-Man. Now, to a lot of people, that's not really going to mean anything. Uh, But 
it is important to note that Ant-Man was pretty much his, his baby. I mean, he, he is the one who brought it to Marvel. They, it wasn't the other way around, and uh, he's been on it ever since. He's been working on it for many, many years. And uh, for him to just suddenly up and leave, that must have been pretty something pretty serious. Uh, he cited creative differences, which is, you know, the usual sort of thing. It's not like they're going to say, we had a punch on, and, and off I went. <laughs> you know, but uh, obviously it would have been something pretty serious for him to leave. And it's, a, it's, you know, it's a bit of a shame, but I wasn't that excited about the Ant-Man movie to begin with anyway. So. At first I wasn't excited, but as it sort of went along and I was hearing more about it, mm. I actually thought that their take on it sounded quite interesting. Yeah. But, um, look, you know, the movie will still be made. It will still come out. Marvel slated it into their schedule, so, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think the thing to remember here is that, you know, throughout the history of film, directors leave projects all the time, they change projects, you know. It's just nowadays we hear about it because of the internet. Whereas back in the day, you know, you wouldn't know until the film actually came out, really. Damn internet. So, um. As long as it doesn't become an Alan Smithy film, will we get it? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the big question. It's not so much that he's left, but really, who is it that's actually replacing him? I think will be the big question. As long as it's not the guy behind Godzilla. Or Brett Ratner. Actually, Brett Ratner would actually be worse. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so let's move on to um, our our major major news item. I just we just want to have a bit of a discussion about it because um, really qu- quite ordinary, quite ordinary turn of events. So uh, just recently, uh, David S. Goyer, um, who is the writer of Man and Ste- Man of Steel and uh, a bunch of other stuff, the uh, Batman but, movies, yeah, the Batman movies, Blade. So David Goyer was a guest on a podcast called Script Notes, uh, where he was interviewed by a panel of screenwriters before a live audience. The panel was called The Summer Superhero Spectacular and included uh, Andrea Berloff, Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, and was hosted by John August and Craig Mazin. And during that podcast, uh, he was basically he was asked his thoughts on uh, She-Hulk uh, to start off with. Well, first off, the host, Craig Mazin's comments are ridiculous uh and uh then goya's response so just i'm just going to read out just a transcript of that uh so craig mason the real name for she hulk was slut hulk that was the whole point let's just make this green chick with enormous boobs and she's hulk strong but not hulk, not hulk massive right she's real lean and stringy and then david jumps in with she's still pretty chunky she was like china from the wwe yeah, that's actually a reference to the fact that China apparently played She-Hulk in a porn movie. Yeah. Like one of those porn parody films. Yeah, yeah one of those porn parodies. Yeah. I'm assuming that's what he's referring to. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I get that. But there was this sort of yeah. sly, you know, nod and wink. Subtle as a tank rolling through a village, yeah. really. And I'm actually I'm going to cut some of this because I can't mention it on the, this family-friendly podcast. But uh, uh, amazingly responds with the whole point of She-Hulk was just to appeal sexually to 10-year-old boys. It worked on me. Uh, Goya then says, I have a theory about She-Hulk, which was created by a man, right? And at that time in particular, I think 95% of comic book readers were men, and certainly almost all the comic book writers were men. So the Hulk was this classic male power fantasy. It's like most of the people reading comic books were these people that, like me, were just those these little kids getting the crap kicked out of them every day. And so then they created She-Hulk, right, who was still smart. I think She-Hulk is the chick that you could have sex with if you were Hulk if you know what I'm saying She-Hulk was the extension of the male male power fantasy so it's like I'm going to be this geek who becomes the Hulk then let's create a giant green porn star that only the Hulk can have sex with and then it goes on Uh, nice paraphrasing by the way coming out some of the more harsher language it's it's obviously obviously more more explicit than that 
Um, and then they, they go on to talk about the mansion that Martian Manhunter, which I will get to in a second. But I just want to just want to just sort of clarify that bit. It's clearly not true. Obviously, Goya has no idea about the creation of the She-Hulk. We won't go. We won't delve too far into it. But essentially, she was created by Stanley and John Basima, and they don't have sex um, unless you count Old Man Logan, which is out of continuity. But they, 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 she wasn't. She clearly wasn't created for that reason. She was created. She is the cousin of the Hulk. They're not kissing cousins. There's um, a theory that she was created due to the TV show. Yeah, well, no, well, Stanley's actually said that. So yeah, not they, even a theory. They, Stanley's just straight up, right up said that. Yeah, is, the, the, the TV show um, producers wanted to spin it off with a She-Hulk, much in the same way that the Bionic Woman was spun off from the Six Million Dollar Man, and Marvel thought that if they created a She-Hulk character, then Marvel would lose the rights to that, so they kind of got their one out they there went first. With it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she's a great character. I, I just she don't is. understand what this sort okay. of backlash is There's, all about. When when you first sent out the the links for us to look at, my first thought was, I really don't care. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's all the same stuff all over again. But yeah, I thought, so what? But then I thought about it a bit more, and I thought, what would I say on a show? And so it sort of went around and around in my head. So I wrote it all down. So forgive me if it sounds like I'm reading, because I am. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to. It may sound like I'm reading because I am. I don't want to forget. Okay, so. It, Yes, he got the character of She-Hulk wrong. Okay, she's not, in, as you say, she's not in a sexual relationship with the Hulk, they're cousins. But the general things he said about the creation of the character, why not, well, that might not have been the intent of the creation behind She-Hulk, is most certainly the intent behind the drawing of many female characters. Now, lots of characters, lots of female characters have fine, well-written stories and they've got really well-written, well-rounded characters but they're often drawn with the intent to titillate. And I'm not just talking about DC, I'm talking about the whole industry. And my example of this is when last week, for last week's show, when we, you did the um, Battle of the Serial Killers. The Clash of the Slashes. Um, it, it's my job at, <laughs> here at NCP to do the banner. And um, it, it was really easy to find images of all the serial killers. But when I came to Cassie Hack, my immediate Google search, before I even did a Google image, like, I've just passed this around. This is the, the just the blurbs that come up of Cassie Hack. Now, have a look at those. And now, I think Cassie Hack, from what I heard on the show, is sounds like a pretty cool character. She likes almost sounds like a little cyberpunk chick. I don't, I'm not into horror, but, you know, the character sounds pretty cool. Mm. But just look at those and genuinely mm. tell me, if she was Carl Hack, would he be drawn in the same manner? No. No, no, no. of course not. He, no. Okay, to be fair, he would probably be fetishised and there would be, uh, you know, he'd be wearing leather. But it would be a full body outfit, and you wouldn't see much in the way of skin. Maybe yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you might have a V neck that shows. Some I mean, even in even in pictures where she does have a fair amount of clothes on, there's still the pose that she's mm-hmm. in. Yeah, like there's this ridiculously foreshortened pose where she's leaning forward. There's another one when she's sitting there clearly with her legs apart mm-hmm. and her hand in a position that is kind of suspicious. Okay, so my thing is, why why is Goya's comment so shocking? Because it seems to be an attitude that's prevalent throughout the comic industry. I think, and I wouldn't be surprised if he firmly believed that he was just preaching to the choir and probably didn't expect any sort of backlash. If you wanted to sort of change this sort of thing, you need to change it right throughout the whole comic industry. You know, oh, that is get, true. Get this man. Absolutely no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, you are actually right. Hmm. But my thing is that I'm actually sick of it. Yeah. I agree 100% oh, with I'm sick to death of it and I just, um, that's what I thought when I, when I looked at this I actually, oh, who cares I actually go out of my way to avoid we've, we've actually talked about this subject quite a lot on the show for good reason 
talking about the way that they handle characters like Starfire and Voodoo when the New 52 mm. launched, and then the new Titan, the Teen Titans cover, um, not too long ago. I he, he probably thought that, mm. um, but I, from my perspective, his comments are reflective of an attitude that is actually quite harmful. Spot on. Um, it is, and I think, I think if, and you, if you think about it, it's insulting to you guys as well as women because yeah. he assumes that you all think the yeah, same way. That, and that, that was one of the things that I, mm. when I read the transcript last night, that mm. one of the things that I, what I said was, um, you know, this is why women don't act, this is why women frown upon um, comic book culture because mm. of the, the mentality that, you know, that they are put under, you know, that they are overtly sexualized. This is... And okay, so go, this is, I'm not surprised why, unfortunately, more women don't embrace comics. Yeah. Um, because this is... of this attitude and the way that they are portrayed. And I get disgusted by it. Yeah. This is exactly why I wanted to bring this up. I'm really, really glad you guys touched on this. I, I don't want it to be an attack on David Goya. I basically wanted to be, I wanted to cover those exact points. It's like, why... Mm. Why are we betray? Why are we as a group betrayed that way? Mm. Like, I mean, we'll cover it again a little bit later when we go into the Martian Manhunt a bit. But this whole this idea that this is what the comic audience wants mm. is just so wrong, and it just and it really really frustrates me. Look, there is a bigger concern here, and David Goyer does need, I think, to be called out on his comments. Yeah, definitely, because right? his comments are ridiculous. Okay, the, the first point is, for me, there's the, for me, there's two major points here. The first point is, this attack on She-Hulk seems to come from the fact that She-Hulk as a character has a very active sex life. Yeah, right? exactly. And she always has, but so do a whole series of male characters. Let's take Wolverine. I think he slept with almost every woman in the Marvel Universe at one point or another. But you don't see him getting called, you know, slutterine or anything like that. It yeah. seems to be that the, the problem is for people like Goya is that She-Hulk is female. Yeah. And more importantly, a powerful, dominant, strong-willed, individualistic intelligent. female. Intelligent. Promiscuous. Yeah. That, it seems to be that, that he, the problem here perhaps lies with Goya and some of the other people on this show and their inability to deal with women like that than it does with anything about She-Hulk. My, my second point here is um, Goya is in a position, and this goes back, I think, to a little bit of what Crystal was saying. Goya is in a position to actually influence people's thinking on the depiction of superheroes in across the board. I mean, he's writing you know key superhero movies here. Most importantly, he is writing the big screen introduction of Wonder Woman yeah. in the next uh, Batman Superman film. And if this is his attitude towards powerful women... We're in a bit of trouble. Then I, I'm, I'm kind of shuddering a bit to think about what, how he's going to depict Wonder Woman. You know? yeah. Like, if the way he's talking here, he's not saying what Crystal was saying. Crystal is saying, this is a problem across the industry, and she's right. He seems to just be saying, yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And he's wrong. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> let's face facts. He is actually wrong here. Yeah. Right? Yes, there is a lot of that, but then there's, there is some actually very good work being done to try and change that perception, and there are some fantastic female characters coming out now and, and female writers and artists coming into the industry as well. But that might influence the comic book industry, but you've got to influence the wider perception as well. Now, Goy is the man in the number one position to do that, with the, maybe the exception of Joss Whedon. Yeah. You know, get out there and change it. Don't make stupid comments like this, and, and don't put yourself out there to basically come across as an idiot. Get out there, give us a great, powerful, strong representation of Wonder Woman that can stand up to not just 
any superhero, male superhero or anything, but can actually stand up to scrutiny. Give us a strong female character and challenge that very perception that you seem to be supporting. Yeah. The good news is that he's writing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, I don't know if that's good news. Well, he wrote, he wrote, he wrote, he wrote let the original, let me, let me he read, he wrote the original draft. Well, which means it may not end up... His vision may not be what ends up on the screen because he doesn't get the final say. Well, most, it most likely will because Zack Snyder is directing and he also did Sucker Punch, which is mm. essentially... The, the, the schoolgirl the, fetish the David movie. David Goyer type film. To add insult to injury, before we talk about the Martian Manhunter comments, one of the th- they actually do eventually talk about Wonder Woman because the whole thing is talking about you know rebooting comic book characters. Yeah. And one of the panellists, and I think it's actually one of the moderators, I think it's Don August who says it, he actually talks about, um, you know, being absolutely respectful to Wonder Woman and wanting to apply, you know, the tenets of the Bechdel test. So it actually, it's actually talk about, to clearly show that you've got that knowledge and that you are aware to then, uh, after Goya's little uh, little statement there, I think is also a bit insulting too. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I think that test is actually flawed. I only know actually, of it. I've I actually not... don't like that test at all. I just, I just don't think the test even really works. Okay, but that's right. Well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but I totally agree with you. And I think, and I think that's highlighted more, and it sort of ties into what Richard was saying. Because when they start talking about Wonder Woman, mm. Goy's, you know, blank faced. Mm. Yeah, and and it's like. This is the character that you're introducing to the world. It's like in a big screen debut, and he's like, he just has no clue. You can just tell he has no idea. It's, just, it's scary. I, th- I think, um, and this probably does lead in a bit to the Martian Manhunter comments, but I think what this entire podcast has revealed is that Goya doesn't seem to have a very good understanding of a lot of the superhero characters. Exactly it. Yeah. Which, which to me, it's like do some ex- research, dude. Which to me probably explains a lot of my issues with Man of Steel. In yeah. that I didn't feel that he had, that the writers had a very good understanding of Superman in that film and what Superman is and, and, and what he represents. Um, and I think this is just reiterating that more than anything else. I have a little comment that, uh, regarding one of the articles that you referenced, the one by Devin Farachi. I uh, apologise if I pronounced your name wrong. It's, he starts out the article, uh, the times they are changing as hardcore punks DOA once said. I'm thinking, Really? Now, we, we all know this is a Bob Dylan song, and of all the people who have covered over all the years, why pick DOA? They like, came out in 2010. <laughs> Maybe he's just trying that, to be relevant that, to, mean, the, to modern the, times or something. But that was the first line in the article, and it kind of completely threw me out. I, what? <laughs> I love how that's where, that's where you went. Uh, anyway, so moving on to Marshall Manhunter, because this is the one that actually gets me the most. He, Goya was asked how he would translate the John John's Marshall Manhunter fi- it, uh, origin into film. And Goya just, he obviously just has no love for this character, because he basically says, you know, how many people in the audience have heard of Martian Manhunter? And after hearing some light applause, he adds, how many people that raise their hands have ever been laid? Yeah. Yep. This is the man in charge of writing exactly. all of DC's characters. He's now just insulted his core audience, and basically has presented the clearly incorrect stereotype. That stereotype of, just gets me so bad. Of, of the comic book fan, like so I'm he, getting he, tired he, of that stereotype, and you see it all the time, even in shows hmm. like Big Bang Theory. Hmm. So this is, this, is yeah. the, this is the three things that really frustrate me the most about this whole event: is that David Goyer is an idiot. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, his, his total disrespect for women yeah. is just shines right out there. And the host as well. Let's not just pick on, on David Lloyd. Well, there, there, are, there, are two, there are two hosts. One of them is trying to keep everybody on yeah. track yeah. and the other one isn't. Yeah. I would change Let's that to fair. his total disrespect for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. But after, I'll, I'll be honest. And then, because then, I was going to say, and his disrespect for, for his core audience. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, and, but, yeah, so those, those two things. And, and uh, you know, the, the stereotype that nerds, you know, or comic readers want you know boobies in their comics, and you know don't have don't have sex. That's <laughs> yeah. like you know can't have have a stable relationship. Yeah. So and frustrating. This and this man's been writing superhero movies basically since the nineties. And I mean, he's, and he's, this, he's, this is what he does for a living: is write right, superhero movies. David really. Goya, Joss Whedon are probably the two most influential movie writers. Is, 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 yeah. is he perhaps talking about himself? And he thinks everyone's like him. <laughs> Hard to say, really. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go there. Let's not make well, it a people, personal. People sort of tend to judge other people based on their own selves. Yeah, I guess so. He seems to be one anyway. of those people that's uncomfortable so writing superheroes, even though he, that's what that's, he's made his living. That's, that's your job. Doing, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously more to it, and we, we, won't, we won't take up the whole episode about it, but I mean, I, I just employ to sort of have a bit of a read. Uh, a couple of standout uh, websites to go to are uh, com, who have uh, a, a pretty excellent sort of summarization of the whole thing um and uh you know in the usual suspects comics alliance cbr that sort of stuff um i'm very well out of this i'm actually very glad to say that i have seen very minimal support for goya's comments mm. and that that makes me quite quite pleased so it's, it's been an almost universal condemnation Mo- and uh, and that's unusual, especially in the world of Twitter. <laughs> Usually, well, I mean, Twitter is where, where they sort of just uh, they sort of jump onto his side. But, but it's, it's it's been uh, pretty much universal against you know his attitude, and the, that's good to see. The the most sort of common, I guess, supportive arguments have been the usual. He's entitled to his opinion. He can say what he, he likes. He's entitled to his opinion, you know, and he is. And we're entitled to call him out for that's it. it. <laughs> and you know, it, it's when the when the majority says that his opinion is wrong. That's when something needs to be said. You said. can't expect to put your opinion out there in the public and not have the public comment yeah. on it. All right, well, that's, uh, that's, enough, that's enough of that. Let's move on. Um, yeah, don't give him any more time than he deserves. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, yeah, so you just you know, I'm probably do your own research and sort of have a, have a bit of a look at it and sort of and let us know. I'd love yeah. to know what um, what our listeners think of all of this. That's entirely right. We actually we actually got quite a, quite a lot of good feedback about uh, our comments about um, the Teen Titans um, con- cover controversy. So um, if you know if if you've got an opinion on this, if you think we're wrong, uh, let us know. I would love to, I'd, I'd be very interested to see your counter-arguments, if you have any. Um, if you think we're right, if you think, if you think we're right, let us know as well, because I love that sort of stuff. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, just any opinion you've got, you know, throw it in there. Can I just put in my, uh, I've said this before on previous episodes, just put in my usual disclaimer that uh, I, I just feel like the need to point out that I'm not a prude. No. But, but if you want to have these images and comics, I don't see right any reason why you can't, but just market them towards adults and have it a bit more equal. Don't just have um, don't just have sexy females. Have, uh, what did I write down here? I have some eye candy there for the not insignificant portion of the population who are attracted to the male form as well. Yeah. And market these explicitly to adults have, make there no ambiguity at all, so kids don't walk in and pick up the wrong comic. <laughs> cool. So uh, let's, on a lighter note, let's move on to our you know, the return of the group review. Richard's very excited, yeah. uh, and for this group review, we'll be doing X Men: Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. 
Cool, so X-Men Days of Future Past is the latest in the X-Men franchise films. Returning to director's Brian Sinner after Brett, Nat- Brett Ratner almost destroyed it and uh, and then Matthew Vaughn, you know, tried to redeem it <laughs> with uh, his, his installment. But uh, it basically deals with the Days of Future Past storyline from the comics with some, you know, obviously cha- obvious changes and uh, involves the, the coming together of the original sort of X-Men crew and the first class crew which involves uh, which involves uh, time travel base basically where wolverine is sent from this horrible anti-mutant mutant future uh back into the, the body of his younger self uh in 1973 in order to stop mystique from killing peter dinklage who <laughs> 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 is awesome Bol- uh, yeah bolivar trask um uh, which 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 then sets up which would would uh, escalate and cause the events of their future uh, do they succeed find out when you see it for yourself um that's that's it basically at the plot in the in a nutshell it is it's really is uh, that's basically all there is to it it's um a return to form uh to uh some of the you know, the earlier x-men films and i quite enjoyed it moving on to the others <laughs> <laughs> you weren't quite sure where you were going i wasn't there, quite sure where i was going you read it i was going to keep going with some more plot but i thought well that's the basic plot isn't it you don't, don't, no, no spoilers <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here because um, I'm a like massive lifelong X Men fan, and uh, you know I actually started reading the X Men comic around the time that um, Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past were actually first published. So um, those two stories had a massive impact on me as a kid. And um, after the let's call it disappointment of their attempts to do the Dark Phoenix Saga in X Men Three, which was really a total debacle. The first thing that registered on me watching this film was uh, they've got the story right. You know, they're, they're actually pulling off Days of Future Past pretty well here. Um, and I appreciated that, you know. Obviously, it's a different story uh, with, you know, different setups and things, but the core of the story still stays there. It's not by any stretch a perfect film. There are a, a few uh, problems I had with it. They're, they're fairly minor problems. The story opens, obviously, with with Wolverine being sent back. And Wolverine is the focal character to begin with. But the thing there is that Wolverine's actually not part of the core relationship and core conflict driving this story. The core relationships and conflicts are actually between Xavier and Magneto and Mystique. So once, once sort of Wolverine's back and those characters are reintroduced, he then just kind of becomes window dressing, you know, it's like he's there to have some fights and, but you know, the, 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 the problem there is of course that he's the focal character for almost the first act. And then he just kind of slips away uh, in the rest of the film, you know, but uh, to me, that was a fairly minor issue because once the, once Xavier Magneto Mystique are established and you're ready to go to, to me, that's when the story really takes off because that's when the emotional investment in the story actually really kicks in. But the actual final resolution was, a, a, I suppose, a little underwhelming. Mm. But still good because it, it was good in that it still stuck to that core relationship. Mm. You know, it still came down to Magneto, Xavier and Mystique. The, the other thing too, I think, first and foremost, I was actually entertained watching this film. You know, and for a popcorn film these days, I find that that's a rare thing. I enjoyed it uh, coming, like, I was sort of like, in two minds going to the film, thinking, oh, not another comic book movie, but I enjoyed it. I didn't get bored at any stage, and, and unusually for me, I didn't think any of the action the action sequences were too long. Yeah. In fact, my favourite sequence was 
without spoiling it, the sequence uh, just after you first see young Magneto. Yeah. That's not spoiling it too much. No. Um, people who have seen it will know what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, that's the, ne- the next point I was going to say. Uh, coming from uh, as an outsider's point of view, although I do know more about the X-Men now than I did when I first saw my first X-Men movie, it's the same as, same as the last one. I, I thought the last two movies have been good in that you don't necessarily feel like you have to have an intimate knowledge of all the characters mm-hmm. to follow along with the story. And actually there is a point where it's sort of a bit of a nod to who Peter is, and I got that without actually having previously known. So that was quite nice. good. They did that really well. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, like First Class, um, they utilised the time period, the 1973 time period, I think, quite well. And actually, I think a little bit better than... Than first class did. I mm. think it was brave having Wolverine wake up in a waterbed. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Where first class, you know, used the Cuban Missile Crisis quite well. This uses not just the events of the time period, but the the whole feel of the time period, and you know, they're, they're coming out of the Vietnam War and the impact of the Vietnam War, and I think that actually plays quite nicely into the psychology of many of the characters at that point, mm. um, including Trask. Mm. You know, they've just come through one you know, highly highly um, publicised war that they've lost, and Trask doesn't want that to happen again. And I like the fact that Trask is not presented so much as a as an evil villain who wants to take over the water thing. He's presented as a guy that actually thinks what he's doing is right. He's doing the wrong thing, but he thinks for the right reasons. And and I appreciated that as well. Plus, you know, Peter Dinklage. Awesome. Yeah, I got a little bit bored watching this, I must confess. Um, don't get me wrong, it's not... Uh, it's, it's, it's my nose stretch of the imagination and awful film. And, and a bit, it's not, it's, it is refreshing that it is a bit more ambitious in its scope than certainly, say, X, X-Men 3 or even X-Men First Class. But I hear what Richo's saying about um, about Wolverine, and I think my, one of my problems is that there's an inherent lack of focus in this one. It sort of flounders as to who it's actually focusing on. Really? You think so? Yes. I think, yeah. it's pretty, I think it's pretty clearly focused on Charles. Yeah, but it dovetails between what Charles was doing and then what Magneto was doing. Yeah, that's and fine, which is what you're going to have. You're going to have Charles but, versus Magneto. Yeah. But that's right. I think they just should have set that up earlier. Yeah, I yeah. actually would have sent... Like, they sent Wolverine through because, let's face facts, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is awesome. Mm. The initial suggestion is to try and send Charles through. Well, that's what I would have gone with, to keep that focus on, on Charles and Magneto um, right from the outset. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, the explanation that Wolverine can heal better yeah. does make much more sense. It does. Yeah, absolutely Charles right. is an old man. Yeah, it you're absolutely sense, right. But I would have... See, my, part of my problem is the opening that opening fight scene. It looks cool, and I like the use of Blink, uh, one, of the, one of the mutants, Blink's powers. Mm. I think they, they did that very well. But they introduce a lot of mutants who don't actually have an overall impact on the plot, and it's really there to set up Kitty Pryde, the, um, the time travel element. But I would have I would have put Wolverine and probably Charles and Magneto in that scene to give it a bit more of an emotional context as well. Okay. And I would have uh, without without spoiling I would one of the characters who appears in the in the seventies I would have had an older version of them appear in that scene as well. I would have shown them die so that when later on when they ask um, oh what happens to me in the future and Wolverine says you don't make it to actually give it more of an emotional. Investment. Oh, that yeah, that, that's a good point. I actually they get the feeling that there was meant to be a scene like that. I kind of get the I get the yeah. impression oh, that you were meant to cut. see him, like like the cover of the of the actual issues. You know, where you got yeah. like all the wanted posters and the X's yeah. and stuff. 
I've got a feeling you were meant to see that particular character in that sort of, ex- ex- you know, not specifically die on screen, but mm. the fact that you knew he was in fact dead. But to set up, um, uh, sort yeah, of, as I agree. but also to set up an emotional relationship for Wolverine, and that would have given their relationship, um, that, and I'm, I'm saying this without trying to get Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I also felt that tonally it, it kind of shifted a little bit and wasn't always comfortable. For instance, yeah. it starts off being, you know, a dark... A dark anti-mutant, a dark anti-mutant. We're all in trouble. End of the world scenario. And then when the rescue of Magneto comes on, suddenly it's a little bit more Italian job. Yeah. And it's and it, it you know trying to be not necessarily humorous, but certainly a little bit more lighthearted in in its approach. And it doesn't quite match. Isn't that just a contrast between the two worlds? It's a contrast. I don't think it works. I would I would I, I, I would have held back on the lightness and gone for a slightly you know, make just a little bit more um serious. What I love, you know, is seeing things like um seeing uh, people like Michael Fassbender return as Magneto, and when, pretty much from the moment he comes on, he almost dominates the film like he did in X Men First Class. Um, he actually managed to sound like Ian McKellen in hmm. certain scenes. I thought that was quite. Good. Um, and uh, one of my a scene that really stood out for me is where he and Charles are actually confronting each other um, on the on the airplane. They're flying to Paris. Hmm. My and um, Eric actually throws back, you know, all the deaths of all the mutants who have died. Um, ever since Charles has gone into um, into exile, effectively, mm. and the, the plane starts to shake, and, the, and everyone starts to wonder if they're going to actually make it to Paris. It's a yeah. very well done scene. That's what I like about this too. It's not just cut and dried. Eric is good. Charles is no, yeah. Eric is evil. Charles is good. Mm. There's, you know, it's like real life. You mm. weigh it up. There's, it's not. It's not all black and white. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing for me too. Um, it's nice to see a really a, 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 a well directed. X-Men film again after Brett Ratner's debacle. Um, well, there is the Wolverine. True, but I'm thinking specifically from, the, specifically from X-Men. No, the Wolverine's actually far more interesting than this. That was boring. Too action-y action action, too much acting. <laughs> too much acting? Right too much acting. It's <laughs> a reference to the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, a, a real credit to, to Brian Singer to actually come back here and, you know, show Brett Ratner how to do it right. Nice attention to detail, and, and, yeah. and, and Nixon was very good. Yeah. I don't know how they managed to get President Nixon to come back and play the role. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I like the pretty much, I like the retconning of basically Brett Ratner. Like, we've, we've, we retcon out X-Men 3, which is nice. Mm-hmm. We actually retcon all of them out. So it's well, a reboot. Yeah, Stephen, Simon Kingberg is actually is, has come out and said that it actually does reboot all of it. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Well, X-Men 2, X-Men 2 works if you... Ex- okay, without giving too much away. If you accept that Wolverine could still end up at the Weapon X project and yeah. that could still happen. Um, but X-Men 3 mm. is quite, quite unequivocally written out. There's just no doubt about X-Men 3 did not happen. Um, and I, and I, I appreciate that because maybe they can do Dark Phoenix Saga again, but do it right. <laughs> well, Simon, Simon has said that it, it's all gone. Um, right. it's, it's, it, is, it is a fresh reboot. And yeah. he justifies it by saying that he was, he was involved in X3 and there were some things that he, he liked about it and there were some things that he didn't like about it. And the main thing that he didn't like about it was the resolution of the Dark Phoenix storyline. Right. Uh, he just thought it was generally quite weak and especially the loss of Scott he just thought it was just inappropriate yeah. ending for such a character. Mm. And so that's why when he discussed it with Brian Snow that they would do what they did. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as non-spoilery as I can be. Uh, but uh, so it's not saying that the events of one and two 
Well, I mean, even all of them couldn't still happen. Yeah, like you yeah. said, if he if Wolverine does go to the Weapon X facility, yeah, that's pretty safe to say that he will because Wolverine without metal claws is kind of weird. Yeah, you know, so in terms of marking and stuff, they will yeah. get that happen in ASAP. Yeah. So, but well, yeah, there, for, but for no... now we're in a, in a fresh start. Yeah. Um, but then, but then, of course, yeah. uh, the end, the end, the uh, end credit sequence sets up sets up the next film, and uh, we'll be dealing with Apocalypse, which is uh, pretty damn cool. Yeah, and I must admit, like it's it's quite a nice little. I quite like set up it. If you if you if you know Apocalypse, it's actually quite a nice setup. Yeah. Um, I don't know what people who don't know who Apocalypse is thought of it, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know from the but really those end credits are often more for you know for the the fans anyway. Yeah, it's interesting how these sort of films work. I've, I found I've I mean I've, I've sort of analysed these a lot over the past you know bunch of episodes where we have sort of dealt with these sort of things, and it sort of comes up with two different sort of factors of this film that I wanted to talk about because um, you guys have basically mentioned everything else that you know. I've you know, as usual, going last, I don't really need to say any of that sort of stuff. But, but two things I want to sort of touch on is that uh, is the apocalypse thing. It, yeah, I, I totally agree, with Richard. These end these end credit sequence thingies in all of these type of films, no matter what studio they come from, are clearly designed for the comic fans, so yeah. the people that know the universe. But the rest of the film are actually, which I, I've, I've come to believe, are actually not not for us at all. The rest of the film are set for people like Crystal, who have ne- who's never read a comic, an X-Men comic before in their life. So she, so all she knows about the X-Men are what she's seen on the screen. So the movie version of the X-Men. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's pretty cool. I like, I like the fact that they do that. They do, mm-hmm. they do, they make it for the mass, the mass appeal to make as much money as they possibly can because it's a business and that's what all they're really interested in. But then they throw in these little sort of end things. Yeah, you know. yeah. They 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 respect the fans, but they don't make the films for the fans. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's that's pretty much. They make up. the films to get more fans, <laughs> which means more money. Yes. Um, but mean, the other the other thing I wanted to sort of touch on was was Peter. Um, yeah, Peter's. I actually I quite enjoyed Peter. Uh, I, I didn't think I was going to because during the lead up to this film, where they sort of they did the, the usual sort of marketing type crap, he's in this ad for a, I don't know some burger joint, and it's awful. So it's actually not as bad as Mystique's one, but it's pretty damn bad. And the, the main sort of problems I had with it was because his character is just seemed like a bit of a wank, and the, his costume especially is, is ridiculous. And I, when we, then we were sort of watching the film, and I sort of had the sort of same reaction. I was like, "Oh my god, this costume is just the worst." But then on the train home, I actually thought about it a bit more, and I actually, I've completely, I've completely turned it around. Actually, now even though I still don't like the costume, I can now understand exactly why he wears it because he's not. He's not the Quicksilver. He's actually, I mean, like Crystal said, he's never called Quicksilver in the film. He's not the Quicksilver that we know from the comics. He's a 14, you know, to 16-year-old boy. And that is the sort of costume that a 16-year-old boy would wear. I actually cannot remember what he was even wearing. Oh, he's wearing, like, he's basically just a jacket and a, and a Pink Floyd T-shirt and, 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 these, and, and these ridiculous goggles. It's the goggles that get me the most. Um, so, I mean, the goggles, they annoy me for two reasons. One, he doesn't need them because he's shown using his abilities without them. And they look stupid, but so, so he the, might think they look cool. Yeah, but that's it. That's exactly right. That is the sort of outfit. If when I was sixteen, I would have thought that outfit was cool. <laughs> yes, Mister Moonboots. Yeah, exactly right. So, <laughs> Blink um, was awesome though, and Blink was awesome. And Bring uh, her back. I like Warpath was awesome. Blink was awesome. I did. I mean, fanboyish. I didn't really like the fact that Sunspot was different, but still having Sunspot was pretty cool. So that was meant to be um, Sunspot, was it? Yeah, that's Sunspot. Because I wasn't quite sure it was Sunspot. 
I didn't notice. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was Sunspot or Sunfire. No, you see, that's, so. that's the thing. It, it, they've kind of combined the two yeah, stuff. Yeah. And it's, it was, uh, that's okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't care. The enemy. It's not that, yeah. doesn't mean that much to me to be worried. But being that Bishop was yeah. cool. And, so anyway, so I was totally turning that around. They were, they were the only two things that I wanted to sort of point out. But I am, I am very, very excited for the next film, actually. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed this film. I actually enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought the second act kind of lagged quite a bit, mm. um, especially with the tone shift. Yeah. I totally agree with that. But uh, I just, I mean, I just walked out of it with a smile on my face, and you know, I, I enjoyed the whole thing. I didn't get pumped up like I did for Spider-Man Two, <laughs> but uh, but you know, still, in, in terms of in terms of enjoyment, that was really cool. You do mean Spider-Man Two, and not Amazing Spider-Man Two. Well, I did say Spider-Man Two. I didn't say. Okay, Amazing I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, just just, just for checking. the regular people out there who aren't uh, as into Spider-Man as you, you did mean the first trilogy and not the second trilogy. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, I don't even include the first trilogy because Spider-Man Three is a piece of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather watch Amazing Spider-Man One and Two than Spider-Man Three again. Now, that, How dare you suggest otherwise? <laughs> there, there's an interesting uh, discussion for another time. Yeah. Yes. Which is the worst uh, franchise-killing film? Um, Spider-Man Three or X-Men Three? <laughs> Ooh, um, that's a good one. Superman well, answer because the, the answer is quite clear: <laughs> Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good point! You've, you've thrown the gauntlet. Down I quite there. like this as a topic. We will talk about that in another, in another episode. Just, but uh, anyway, that stays. So let's uh, finish up with our um, ratings. Four. For what? Four Wolverines. <laughs> <laughs> Four of Wolverine's six claws. <laughs> Four Luke's. <laughs> I'll uh, yeah, I give this uh, three and a half. Really entertaining film. Two. It's not offensive, but I've seen better. Uh, like the Wolverine. <laughs> Wolverine. Wolverine. Okay. I enjoy the Wolverine. Uh, last, the last Samurai with Wolverine in it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get this uh, for Wolverine, the last Samurai. Especially <laughs> <laughs> what it is. <laughs> and, uh, I'll get this for Lex. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed, and, it. enjoyed it a lot. Oh, and for the fanboys, look out for Len Wine and Chris Claremont in the film as well. They have this funny little cameo appearance that's just kind of cool. Okay, coming up next, our top five time travel movies. Of course, cool, so just uh, so as uh, our beloved top fives, so we're going each person's going to go through their top five um, time travel films. Uh, now, I do need to point out that uh, I did stipulate that if we're a time travel film. It needs to be the central plot of the film, or like the major point of it is the fact that they travel. None of this Galaxy Quest 13 seconds business. Not even Superman the movie where he turns back time to save Lois. None of that sort of stuff. That whole film has to be based on. They're in TotalFilm.com's top 50. Uh, TotalFilm.com is wrong. (laughs) We'll go with that. Total Film is wrong about a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. So uh, we're actually going to start with me. Good call. Yeah, since uh, Richo suggested it in a previous episode, and uh, I agree. Screw you all. <laughs> <laughs> Bye now. Bye, but okay. <laughs> cool. So, uh, actually, I had uh, a bit of trouble doing this list. Uh, not in terms of I didn't really know all that many time travel movies, because I know I, I know quite a few of them, but uh, just, you know, picking my favourites. Because I, I, time travel as a concept in films is one of my favourite uh, sort of sci-fi tropes. Uh, I'm a big fan. And... Uh, Funnily enough, quite a lot of my favourite films involve that that very concept, so that's pretty cool. So I've actually got my top five and a whole bunch of honourable mentions, which I'll mention after everybody else has done theirs, just in case somebody's got some from them. Uh, so my top five, starting at number five, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 
just because it, it was a bit a major part of my show growing up. And so I watched it, you know, when it first came out, and I watched it many, many times after that, and because it's bloody hilarious. So it's uh, Bill and Ted. It's you know, Karen and Reeves, Alex Winter. They have uh, they have to do an assignment, a history assignment, or else they're going to fail. And so they uh, they can't fail because they're very important to the future. And so they travel back and forth through time to actually ask the the historical people themselves, so, you know, certain things, and they, you know, accidentally bring them in. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> it's great stuff. Uh, at number four, I had Star Trek for the Voyage Home, uh, because I'm a big, big Star Trek fan, and because that's uh, one of my favourite uh, iterations of the films, and because it's just bloody hilarious. We're looking for the nuclear vessels. Awesome. That was almost... <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was like it was actually, uh, like, we rehearsed that routine. That was my best check-off ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's funny, funny stuff. It's always like, like the, best. Always like the, you know, remember where we parked line. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's full of awesome. Double dumbass yeah. on you. <laughs> and, and, and points to it also for being a very classic kind of Star Trek story. Yeah, that's his actual, well. actually, I think yeah. it's as close to, as the original series is, is going to get, and, uh, you know, on film, it's really, really good stuff. We're here talking about that for days. Yeah, yeah, we get, we'll do, we're actually doing a, one of our uh, upcoming episodes that's going to be uh, all about Star Trek, so we'll, we'll talk about that in that point. At number three, I had the classic, The Planet of the Apes, uh, it is one of my favourite films ever. I can't really talk about why <laughs> it's a time travel film. Uh, just you know, for the possible spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, I haven't which, seen you know, it. If you don't, really? if you don't, because <laughs> yeah, it turns out Crystal hasn't seen it, and even though she has a general gist of what the deal is, uh, I don't want to ruin it because um, I wanted to see it. It is, it is genius, and uh, it's a must see uh, mm. by anybody who's interested in good films. <laughs> Looks, look at his face. Uh, and number two, I had the Terminator. Don't uh, I have Terminator. seen? So you can spoil that all you want. It no, is. No, uh, Again, one of my favorite films. I mean, the top, my top three here, actually, you know, pretty much my, you know, my top three favorite films ever, sort of stuff. So it's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, the Terminator. You know, there's not much, not much about that I can say that it hasn't already been said a hundred billion times. But Arnold Schwarzenegger on fire, James Cameron on his greatest film, and it's just brain brain stuff. Uh, and of course, number one, my favorite film of all time, the the brilliant Back to the Future. And I'm just I'm just specifically going with number one here because actually not a big fan of number two. You know, and threes. Better than two, but not as good as one. But that's just, I think one is just a classic in the sense that it, of just how it uses time travel. Um, and is it's a family-friendly film that has stood the test of time, and uh, no pun intended, and um, and will, you know, for generations to come. It is absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, so that's uh, that's me. So like, so like I said, I'll mention my honourable mentions at the end. We'll go, we'll, we'll go to our regular rotation, and uh, we'll hit it with Richard. Okay, uh, my, my number five movie is uh, Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys. This is a truly bizarre film, but what amazes me about it is that each time I watch it, I actually pick up a lot more of what... Of, there's a lot of subtle nuances and things in this film, and, um, and it's a very clever use of time. And in fact, you'll find that quite a bit on my list. Um, time travel movies can just involve somebody time traveling, or they can actually be a little bit more interesting with how they deal with that. Um, as you... We're talking about Back to the Future and The Terminator, which is interesting because The Terminator is actually my number four film and Back to the Future is my number three film. Because And all three films, their use of time, the way things fit together, the way they don't necessarily fit together at certain points, though they're, they're just it's, it's a fascinating the way all three movies deal with the concept of time travel. Okay, I'm going to spoil something here, but don't worry too much. One of the things I love about Back to the Future is it involves time travel and then things change when he gets back to the present. Everything that every everything that he has done in the past has then influenced 
the future. And I love that aspect of it. Um, that's one of the films where a happy ending is actually really nicely appreciated. Mm. My top two movies, I must admit, I went back and forth a bit on these two. But in the end, I chose as my number two film uh, The Time Machine, the classic uh, Rod Taylor version from 1960. This is really the, the quintessential time travel movie, and um, in much of the way, it's a quintessential time travel novel. Um, and I just love it. Like, it's just such a fun movie to watch. It's got a good you know, bit of social commentary to it and everything. And it really does set a standard for time travel movies, I think. But my number one choice was Planet of the Apes. I know Luke, from the looks he's given both David and I, questions Planet of the Apes a little bit. But let's face facts. Planet of the Apes is a time travel movie. 100% it is a time travel movie. The reason it gets the edge over the time machine is that not only is it a great time travel movie, but it is one of the greatest movies ever made and one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. And so therefore it gets the edge because it is a brilliant movie. And regardless of time travel or not, I, I just love it so much that I had to put it in. Wait a minute, it's one. got Charlton Heston in it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's still one of the greatest movies ever. Basically, part of the age Despite is, the is, fact is, it's got Charlton Heston in it. It's essentially a movie-length episode of The Twilight Zone. Okay. How can that be bad? Okay, I'm going to question you here on <laughs> Charlton Heston because... Ben-Hur is an awesome movie as well. Yes, but he's only got one acting style. <laughs> yeah, true, but the he Heston does... Star. But, but, the Heston but, style. The Heston style. But Heston does Heston so well <laughs> that I just yeah. love it. Yeah, I guess, I guess in the same vein that John Wayne does John Wayne so exactly well. Exactly right, yeah. exactly right. Like John like, Wayne is Genghis Khan. Yeah, you're not going to cast... <laughs> damn, you beat me to the line, because I was going to say, you're not going to cast Charlton Heston as Genghis Khan. But... Well, so, didn't Chuck Connors Char- play in that? Fucking moment. But, but Charlton Heston in films like Planet of the Apes and The Omega Man and Ben-Hur and, um, you know, Touch of Evil, when he's playing that certain type of character, there's, there's no one better at it. That's right. You know, and that's... I, I love that. That's why I love Charlton Heston, despite certain yeah, wackiness. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of the man himself, <laughs> but he was great and stuff. Okay, just want to point something out here. Yes, I agree with you, Planet of the Apes. Awesome film. One of my favourites, don't get me wrong. Travelling through space, not a time travel film. But he travels through space through a time warp. Does he? Yep. He clearly does. Travelling through space, you travel through time anyway. But the time effect while they're in space. It's because, is it because no, they've broken the light speed? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, and that's which is just a natural physical. It's, it's thing. not. It, but it's in a time travel. For, a time, <laughs> what are you talking no, about? But no, no, it's, no, no, no. it's still traveling through time. Yeah, no, it's not. It not in the, not in the sense that time travel at, time travel stories. You know, which is uh, jumping from one point to the other. He's actually in stasis during that event. Yep, but he's still okay. physically no, he's traveling through space. Well, in that sense, aliens also he's traveling time through travel space film. and time. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to give away at the end. But you're basically saying that he's in stasis. Mm-hmm. That period of time where Earth changes. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yes. Ah, you're wrong. But no. I understand your theory. I, 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 Which I'm is, in you. essence, he didn't age, but he still was present throughout that whole time period. No. He didn't jump from one time period to another. No, he actually <sighs> does, though. All right. Okay, cool. All right. I, I'll, we'll get back to that. Because we have to move on. But I have no idea I'm what pretty I'm sure about. I'm just going by what Luke's saying here. Specifically and says that he travels through time. Yeah. But we're talking about the film. We are. And I'm, I'm sure the timey-wimey thing, the light effect, <laughs> when they're in the ship, yeah. is exactly right. them. Exactly right. Going time, through a time point. Timey-wimey effect does occur in Planet of the Apes. Mm. Yeah, but whether it's actually discussed as that or whether it's just, you know, cosmic phenomena or something else. Anyway, 
Um, Stay tuned, people. But, you know, if, so, if someone wants to you know, look it up, then we'll find We'll discuss it then. Um, yeah, let us know. Anybody is, is listening, and uh, before we get back to the next episode, um, yeah, let us know. What's the deal? Okay. Um, my um, top five. Number five is a fil- French film called The Visitors. Um, nice. With uh, Jean Reno. Um, it's about a, a knight in a French knight in the Middle Ages who, in an attempt to um, defeat and kill um, uh, an evil witch, it had to do is I'm transported by the witch just before he can kill her um, from the past to um, the present day. Yeah. And it just and wackiness and shoes and wackiness and things, <laughs> and it's all about how he has to, you know, come to terms with uh, the sudden change in the world and you know the fast-moving nature of our world. But it's all uh, dealing with that in some actually quite very funny scenes. One in particular where he meets a car for the first time hmm. and thinks it's a thinks monster it, and a dragon. Thinks it's a dragon. But instead yeah. of running in, instead of running in fear, he and his squire actually take out their swords and proceed to pummel the hell out of um, sort of the chassis of the car. I'm actually a fan of, quite a fan of his squire, actually. Um, yeah, it, it's a hilarious film. Um, but he, but the story also involves him actually meeting his uh, future descendants. Yeah. A really, a really fun and enjoyable film. So that's number five for me. Number four is Time After Time, which I've, I believe I've already talked about on this show. Um, yep. You know, the concept of this is really what gets to me. H.G. Wells travels forward in time to fight Jack the Ripper. No, no, it's awesome. It's, it's it is one fantastic. Of the, it's one of those films that should, should just really not work and should just it should just be really stupid. But Nicholas Meyer brings a level of authenticity to it and the performances by Malcolm McDowell and David Warner really um, uh, ground it, I think. Yeah. Um, and Mary Steinbergen to a, to a certain extent, but really you're watching it for Malcolm McDowell and uh, David Warner. But I have actually talked about this film before, so yeah. it's number four. Number three um, is uh, my Terry Gilliam film, which is Time Bandits. Which is his um, Terry Gilliam second film. It involves uh, a young boy, uh, a quite bright, quite imaginative young boy, le- leading a life of mediocrity with his parents. Um, meets a group of time-traveling dwarves, who have a map to t- to all of space and time, and can pinpoint um, certain points where wormholes are opening, and they use that to travel back in time to go and rob various riches. However, they are actually being pursued themselves again. By David Warner, <laughs> um, who plays evil and attempts to get the map so that he can use it to conquer all of creation. Um, quite a funny, quite a funny film, and there are some nice cameos, particularly from John Cleese's Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah. Um, And Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery. Is, Sean Connery doing a quite a nice um, turn as Agamemnon. Yeah. Um, uh, quite, an, uh, but quite enjoyable. Uh, but also features a lot of Terry Gilliam's um, facets, the sort of the weird fantasy aspect. Um, and my number two and my number one aren't going to really surprise anyone on the panel here. Number two is Back to the Future for reasons that have already been stated. But another another thing that I like about it is that there is a paradox in play because he does change the future, but it doesn't actually negate um, what happens in the plot itself. Yeah. Even though there's a change, the film still could actually exist. Yeah. Um, because what he's done is changed something outside of the reasons why he has gone back in the first place. Yeah. Um, plus the whole idea of him going back and... Uh, actually visiting his parents before they um, before they fall in love and actually getting a better understanding of the world that he comes from and actually getting a bit more of an appreciation. Kind of realising yeah. his parents are actual people, they're not just mum and dad. Yeah. yeah. And my number one is The Terminator. <laughs> what can you say that hasn't been said? Because he'll be back. <laughs> Some classic set pieces, but on the whole, an intriguing mystery... A villain that is nigh unstoppable, yet at the same time still kind of interesting. An interesting paradox at play. You know, can will these events will these events take place? Have they actually managed to safeguard the future? Have they managed to safeguard 
John Connor. Arguably, still Arnold Schwarzenegger's best turn. Cool. For one number five, I had a question mark. Uh, I was going to put Back to the Future 3, but um, I've changed my mind while listening to everyone here, because we're going to talk about Back to the Future anyway. And um, And we will again. And you will again. (laughs) And I'm going to put a film in that I think at least one, maybe all three of you will disagree with. I'm going to say Midnight in Paris. Yeah, and my main reason we disagree because of time travel or disagree because it's terrible because you don't like Woody Allen oh, movies oh right okay cool. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I didn't say I didn't like Woody Allen movies I just didn't like that Woody Allen movie. you hate no, Woody Allen movies I quite like Midnight in Paris cool yeah. well the, the main reason I thought I'd put it in is because I went into that movie actually not knowing a great deal about it I just I, I knew it was a Woody Allen movie and I thought it'd be like a rom-com with your typical bumbling bumbling Woody Allen character in it, and it'd be a bit of fun. And then when he finds himself in the 1920s, he went, oh, cool, it's time travel. This is awesome. <laughs> and actually, I think Owen Wilson did a really good job of um, trying to be a man who's found himself out of time. He's so hot right now. What? That's a Zoolander reference. <laughs> <laughs> he plays Hansel. Anyway, Hansel. Moving on. Hansel. 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 And now we're going into Looney Tunes, but so <laughs> Um, my number four is 12 Monkeys, pretty much for the same reason everyone said here, but um, my main reason for picking 12 Monkeys is uh, my memories of coming out of the theatre after watching it and talking uh, with the person I saw it with about it afterwards and still trying to figure it out. Now, I love that about a movie, not because it, it was so badly put together that it, we couldn't quite get it, because it was so well put together that there were elements of it that we had to talk about later in order to make sense of the whole thing. It was a, it was a movie that kept going after you finished watching it so yeah. that's that was that's a good thing to have with a movie number three is back to the future uh enough said about that we yeah we all agree that's probably up there for everybody oh God, we all agree that's awesome we all agree <laughs> number two um another bruce willis movie looper i quite like how that movie resolved itself and and it didn't fall into the, the trap of uh, sort of a paradox. How do we get out of it? This oh, this is some trick. We can you know just explain it away. They tended to think about it quite carefully, and um, it all made sense in the end. And my number one is Star Trek: The Watch Home, just for pure entertainment value. Um, like David said before, it is, it's, it's probably the trekkiest of all the Trek movies. The ham acting and and uh, <laughs> the, the quality lines we could just quote for days and days and days. It's, it's got to be my all time favorite time travel movie. Cool. Well, maybe Looper also has. Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't have put it as high as you, but it's and I didn't because I did my top five. But um, <laughs> I, it has actually got one of my favorite examples of uh, cause and effect. So the bit where he's actually losing body parts as he's moving along. Yeah. I just thought it was just brilliant stuff. Uh, so just very, very quickly, my honourable mentions, and then we'll move on. I'm not going to explain them. I'm just going to just list them. Uh, the Philadelphia Experiment, Time After Time, <laughs> Source Code, The Time Machine, Terminator 2, Donnie Darko, 12 Monkeys, The Butterfly Effect, Triangle, underrated, check it out, Star Trek VIII, uh, First Contact, I'm pretty sure that's eight. Um, yeah. And uh, just a, a little classic I saw when I was I was actually quite young and haven't seen since, but uh, I just remember is the Navigator, a medieval odyssey, which is a New Zealand yeah. time travel film. It's basically about about a kid from medieval times that comes to modern day uh, New Zealand. Yeah, not uh, to be confused with Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, not yeah. to be confused with that terrible film. But uh, so yeah, so he's, uh, medieval kids come to modern day New Zealand, and the scene where he sees a row of television sets in a storefront window, Brent. Mm. Cooking on that one though, don't expect a happy ending because it's a, actually quite a sad film. Yeah, it is actually, yeah, it does. Yeah, it's it's not the Back to the Future happy ending. No. No. 
Cool, so uh, next up, coming soon. Coming soon in Australian cinemas, May 29th, we get A Million Ways to Die in the West, which is uh, Seth MacFarlane's second live-action film, and uh, quite frankly looks terrible. I don't know, it could go either way. Yeah. Like, there were some mm. funny moments in the trailer, but uh, I don't know. I that sounds it. like Seth MacFarlane's career, though. You know, could go either way, but there are funny moments in yeah. the episode. Yeah. I didn't see a single funny thing in the, in the, in the trailer. Uh, Disney's latest, Maleficent. I have a prediction. Yeah. I reckon it will... Be a bit more like Snow White and Huntsman. <laughs> well, let's hope, hope not, not because that looks <laughs> terrible, and I think this looks magnificent. Maleficent. So, uh, it looks maleficent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the trip to Italy, which is the next trip film, which um, I would have rather seen last night actually, <laughs> <laughs> which does look hilarious. So, uh, so you know, we're big fans of the trip in this household, so uh, we're very eager to see that. Blow the bloody doors. And uh, Under the Skin, which uh, I'm very intrigued yeah, to see, which is really Scarlett Johansson playing a uh, alien who comes to Earth and kills people, uh, but in like really weird and mysterious ways. It's it's gotten quite a lot of plaudits, um, and strangely enough, also quite a lot of negativity. So, uh, you know, I'm really really intrigued. What is it? What is the Scarlett Johansson playing? You know, powerful but really unlikable. Likeable people because she's also in Lucy, which is Luc new, new film. I'm not interested in Lucy anywhere near as much as I am in Under the Skin, which I think looks awesome. Cool. That's it for episode 93. Thanks for me and the crew. Our special three anniversary. Thanks for putting up us with us for another episode. <laughs> Richard. Planet of the Apes is a time travel movie, damn it. Luke. You're wrong. <laughs> Crystal. Doctor, get me a pill and a girl and you get me. <laughs> <laughs> Fully functional? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you wish to watch that after this. <laughs> Bye! Bye! Bye. www.nerdculturepodcast.com And email Feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com Facebook Facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast Twitter At nerdculturecast You can also Skype us uh, on nerdculturepodcast And you can rate and review us on iTunes And subscribe to the podcast And don't forget we also have our Amazon affiliate widget On our website that uh, you can use to go through and purchase things through Amazon uh, with your own with your own account. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but we get a, a, a slice of the profits and um, a very small slice, but a slice nonetheless. It makes uh, us happy, and uh, which you know helps us uh, produce the show and uh, various other stuff. But also, it's just it's awesome. So if uh, if you could use that, that would be awesome. And thank you for listening.